0: Hello, everyone. This is another bonus episode of Conversations from the Pale Blue Dot. There's no guest today. Instead, I'm responding to a few questions that were sent to me in audio.
1: Hi, Luke. Charo from Australia here. Do you think the Euthyphro Dilemma is a false one? And if so, should and could it be reworked into an effective argument?
0: Thanks. All right. So, for those who don't know, the Euthyphro Dilemma comes from... The Euthyphro, one of Plato's dialogues, in which Socrates does his usual thing of going up to somebody in the marketplace and asking them if they have knowledge about some topic. So he asks this guy Euthyphro if Euthyphro knows what piety is, and Euthyphro starts to explain what piety is, and eventually Socrates asks, Is the pious loved by the gods because it is pious, or is it pious because it is loved by the gods? And as usual, Socrates finds that this person who claimed to have knowledge really doesn't know what he's talking about. So when we translate this to monotheism, the question becomes, is something good because God loves it, or does God love it because it is good? Now why is this a dilemma? Well, a dilemma is a situation where it seems you've only got two options and you don't want to take either one of them, right? It's like Sophie's Choice, where the Nazi doctor at Auschwitz tells Sophie that one of her two children will be killed immediately, and the other one will continue to live, and she has to choose which one. So a dilemma is where both options really suck, and you wish you could have a third option. So here's the Euthyphro dilemma. Is something good because God loves it, or does God love it because it's good? And the reason this is a dilemma for Christians and some other theists is that supposedly they won't like either option because of its implications. For example, if something is good because God loves it, then goodness is just arbitrary and subjective. If God loved rape, then rape would be good. If God loved torturing babies, then torturing babies would be good. And if Christians really think that something is good just because God loves it, then they can't even say... Well, luckily, God hates torturing babies, so torturing babies is wrong. I can't even say that, because remember, it would be just as good to torture babies if God happened to love baby torture. So there's nothing lucky about the fact that God hates baby torture, because it's completely arbitrary. It's like uh, living in North Korea, where the arbitrary commands of whoever has the power is the rule of law. Also, if something is good just because God loves it, then this evacuates certain praises of God of any meaning. If you praise God for being good, you're just praising God for loving what he loves, (laughs) which is not a very impressive or praiseworthy feat. God would be just as praiseworthy for being good if he loved baby torture. So that horn of the dilemma doesn't look very appealing to the theist. What about the other one? What if God loves things because they are good? Well, that's fine, but then there is a source of morality beyond God, and presumably God is bound by it just like we are. And theists don't like the idea that God could be bound by something, or that something could be more authoritative than God. So it looks like the theists won't want to take either horn of the dilemma. Now, many atheists, those who write on the internet anyway, seem to think that the Euthyphro Dilemma defeats any system of theistic morality. But I don't think it does. For one thing, the theist could simply accept the consequences of one horn of the dilemma and that would be the end of it. He could just say, yes, morality is grounded in the arbitrary commands of God. And if he loved baby torture, then baby torture would be good. That's a consistent position. And in fact, it was adopted by Duns Scotus, William of Ockham, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Descartes, and lots of others. Or the theist could just say that moral value exists apart from God, and God is just a messenger of morality to us. That's a consistent position, too, and it was adopted by Thomas Aquinas and Averroes, a Muslim philosopher, Richard Swinburne, you might say, and lots of other theologians. So it's really easy to avoid the dilemma if you're willing to accept the consequences of one of its horns. But that's not all. There are many recent forms of theistic ethics that may be able to avoid the Euthyphro Dilemma. And I say maybe because I haven't yet done the reading I should in order to really answer the question. I mean, philosophers like Robert Adams, Bill Alston, Philip Quinn, I think, have advanced versions of theistic ethics that draw a distinction between value and obligation. And they say that there are some values that are independent of God, And yet moral obligations come from God's commands. So God's attributes, which as a necessary being he has necessarily, are good according to an independent standard of moral value. But then his commands flow from his essentially good character, his necessarily good character, and these commands are obligations. So God's commands are not arbitrary, they come from his essentially loving character, and yet God is not bound by any obligations beyond himself. The obvious question then is, well, where do these independent values come from? And why not just ignore God's commands and found morality directly on the independent moral values instead? So I'm not sure this attempt actually solves the Euthyphro problem, but it might, I just haven't read the literature. And there are other proposed solutions, too. Um, For example, I haven't read the recent dissertation by Matthew Carey Jordan, which addresses a lot of these topics. Uh, So I don't know how strong the Euthyphro Dilemma is, really. But remember, it's always possible to just embrace one horn of the dilemma. So really, at best, the Euthyphro Dilemma could only defeat certain naive forms of theistic ethics, like a naive popular theory that God's commands are the only source of moral goodness, and yet God is morally good according to some standard beyond himself. Obviously, that's a contradiction. So that doesn't work. But there might be other theistic uh, theories of ethics that do work. So I don't think the Euthyphro dilemma is the biggest problem for theistic ethics. The biggest problem with theistic ethics is that God does not exist. I mean, imagine some philosopher came forward and offered a theory of morality that grounded moral value in the attitudes of fairies. And maybe I could look at this theory and try to produce a dilemma or show a contradiction in the theory. And then the fairy morality theorist would revise his theory a bit to avoid these problems and so on. But (laughs) uh, really, the problem with his theory is that fairies don't exist. So his theory is false. Gods don't exist. So theistic ethics fails.
1: Hi, Luke. Chara from Australia here. What are your thoughts on the position of agnosticism? That God is not a coherent concept, and for this reason, no meaningful discussion about it can take place.
0: Thanks! Okay, Charo is asking about agnosticism, as in I G N O S T I C I S M, also known as Ig Theism. This is the view that theism atheism, and even agnosticism are assuming too much for the concept of God. The agnostic says, hold on a minute, the concept of God isn't even a meaningful concept. So you've got a bad question here, like asking what's north of the North Pole. It's not a coherent issue. Or at least you should provide a clear and coherent definition of God before we start talking about whether or not he exists. And, oddly enough, this term, agnosticism, was coined by a Jewish rabbi, Sherwin Wine, who wrote the book, Judaism Beyond God. I'm actually quite sympathetic to this view, though I hardly mention it on my blog. There are quite a few arguments which seem to show that the concept of God, as usually defended, even by philosophers, is incoherent, like the idea of a square circle. I haven't examined those arguments in much depth, but it might turn out to be that even the concept of God defended by somebody like Richard Swinburne or Philip Quinn might be incoherent. Now, of course, if we take the weaker agnostic position, which says not that all God concepts are incoherent, but just that we should be careful to define God before we discuss his existence— Well, then lots of believers would agree. I mean, lots of Christians have taken careful time to define what they think is a coherent concept of God before trying to show that he exists. I don't think that's very controversial. I think what's going on is that somebody writes an argument for the existence of God, and the coherence of the God concept just isn't their topic. Uh, If you ask them, they'll refer you to something else they've written or They'll refer you to the work of another philosopher on the coherence of theism or something like that. Uh, This is no different with any other view. I mean, if you talk about physicalism, there's plenty of work arguing for the truth of physicalism that doesn't argue for its coherence as a concept, even though that's a debated question and defended elsewhere. So I think the question of whether the God concept is meaningful or coherent, or if it's more like a square circle or what's north of the North Pole... I think that's an open question and one worth being researched more, though I can't say much about it because I just haven't researched it myself. If you're interested, there are lots of good links on the Wikipedia page for agnosticism, or you can also read the first chapter, maybe it's the second chapter of Planning as Warranted Christian Belief, um, the collected papers in The Impossibility of God. There's lots of stuff you can read on that topic.
1: Hi Luke, Chara from Australia here. You mentioned in an early article that many atheists reject God because they don't want Him to exist. My question is, do you think people often stop believing in God because they don't like God's character? Or instead, are beliefs that God is an immoral monster more likely to be rationalizations after deconversion, helping disbelief to be not only intellectually satisfying, but emotionally as well? This is not an issue of whether the standard Christian view of God is horrific, I think it is, and cringe whenever I hear Swinburne making excuses. Rather, it's a question of why we find God so disgusting. Thanks!
0: Well, this is not a question about philosophy, but a question about psychology. So, it's an empirical question, and I'm not sure if there's been much research on it. Like you said, I think many people do disbelieve in God because they don't want to believe in God. They hate the idea of a world ruled by an all-powerful, unquestionable dictator who knows our every thought and action and convicts us of thought crime and so on. Now, maybe that's just a feeling that many people have and it wasn't part of what motivated them towards non-belief, but I think that for some people, at least, this was part of their motivation for becoming or remaining atheistic. In fact, some people admit to this freely. Uh, Here's Christian radio host Todd Friel asking a question of Christopher Hitchens.
1: Sir, is it possible that the reason you rage so much against God is because you just want to live your own autonomous way, living any way that you want to, any lifestyle that you prefer, without being accountable to your Creator?
0: I think that's highly probable, yes. But I gave some different evidence before about why I think part of the reason some atheists disbelieve is because they don't want to. And it was that atheists don't seem to really be rejecting God because of the evidence especially those atheists who are moral realists, because moral realists will typically use the exact same arguments they reject on behalf of God to try to prove the existence of moral facts. For example, they'll say they have inner intuitions about moral facts, like they just really feel that rape is wrong, or they have an inner experience of a moral realm, and therefore moral values must exist. Or they'll say that everybody believes in morality, so we should just believe in it until proven otherwise. But earlier that same day, they probably explained to somebody that they don't buy those same arguments on behalf of theism because inner experience is not good evidence and because you can't assume your opponent has the burden of proof just because your view is more popular. So I'm not sure such people are rejecting God because of the arguments, but probably for more psychological reasons. For example, that they don't like the idea that their existence is bound to some cosmic dictator. So I think both things are going on. I think many atheists think the God concept is horrifying, precisely because it is existentially horrifying to human psychology. Oxford theologian Tim Mawson writes about how there are at least two kinds of meaning in life we might be seeking. The self-determined type of meaning in life and the ultimate purpose from on high kind of meaning. But the problem is that you can't have both because the more we have one of those, the less we can have of the other. And that's the existential problem of theism. If you're the kind of person who's really self-motivated and has his own plans and dreams and purposes and wants to make the world a better place and has a plan for how to do it, then the idea of a cosmic dictator is existentially horrifying. Such a being strips your life of all of its meaning and purpose and replaces it with his purposes, whatever they might be. And if God exists, there's nothing you can do about any of this because he has absolute power and he watches your every move. In fact, there's no privacy or autonomy at all because he can see even inside your head, can read your thoughts. And there's no possible escape from this nightmare because even after you're dead, he will keep your soul alive forever and either send you to eternal torture or continue to watch over you in heaven. So for certain people with their own passionate purposes in life, the idea of a cosmic dictator presents an existential crisis. And such a person will do anything they can to avoid believing in such a being. And they'll make all kinds of arguments against God that they, for example, don't make against moral realism. But for another type of person, the idea of a cosmic dictator who has everything planned out and hands down to you his purposes from on high is very comforting. In fact, they celebrate it. In my church, we used to sing praise songs with lyrics like less of me and more of you, Lord, and stuff like that. And we would pray that God would carve out our inner characters and replace our passions and desires with his passions and desires. And some people really like that idea. But of course, it's going to leave you with much less of the self-determined type of meaning and purpose in life. But the point of all this is just to say that I'm sure the idea of God is very distasteful to many people, and that's part of why they reject God, whatever arguments they put up. The psychology and sociology show us that it's almost never really about the arguments for we humans, even those of us who are trying really hard to make it about the arguments. But you also asked, could it be that people who convert from theism to atheism end up hating the idea of God as a kind of post-hoc rationalization. I think that's also very plausible, and it's precisely the kind of thing that we do all the time. We are extremely post-hoc thinkers. We come to an emotional conclusion about something, and later we go back and make up all sorts of arguments to support that conclusion. That's just how we work. So I think that undeniably happens too. Now, I think the idea of a cosmic dictator is genuinely horrifying for lots of reasons, but I think this provides us with no epistemic reason to be atheists. I mean, there's no reason to think that the truth will turn out to be something we want. Just because theism is existentially or morally horrifying gives us no reason to think it's false. It could be that the real world just is that way. So the reason to reject theism is not because theism is horrifying, even though it is, but because there are no good reasons to think that theism is true, luckily. All right, that's it for this bonus episode of Conversations from the Pale Blue Dot. And next time, back to our regularly scheduled programming.